Amen, indeed. Always bless the reading of the Word, right? All right, we are nearing the end of our series that we began several weeks ago on uh, doctrine, called Doctrine Matters. And um, we, we entered into this series because there are many who claim to follow Jesus who don't really know what they believe. They really don't. Uh, they may have a, a vague notion, but they would be hard-pressed to explain uh, what they believe, to articulate it, tending to defer to their pastor or some other authority figure. But I ask you, how would it go over if your neighbor came up to you and wanted to know something about the Christian faith, and, and you said, well, let me have my pastor call you? You know, we need to be able to answer questions like that. We don't have to be uh, experts, and theologians, and doctrinal experts but we need to know what we believe, and we need to be able to articulate the basics of our faith, and to be able to tell our story, our testimony, to anyone who asks. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says, And if anyone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. It's important for our witness that we know what we believe and why. And so that's why this series on Doctrine Matters. It's an attempt to introduce some basic doctrines of the church with a Wesleyan accent. I like that, a Wesleyan accent. So far, we've looked at the Trinity. We've looked at Jesus, the resurrection, Holy Spirit, scriptures, and last week we looked at free will. Today, we're going to look at the doctrine of sacraments. Sacraments are what the church has called the means of grace, channels or vehicles for God to deliver his grace to his people. Sacraments are, as it says in our doctrine, symbols and pledges of the Christian's profession and of God's love toward us. They are a means of grace by which God works invisibly in us, quickening, strengthening, and confirming our faith in him. They're not, only, they're not the only ways uh, or means for delivering God's grace, but they are the significant ways, the major ways that God uh, gives us his grace. There's lots of sacramental ways that God gives his grace to us, like reading scripture, by worshiping, by prayer, by Christian fellowship, by hearing teachings and sermons, by singing and other forms of music, and so forth. But there are only two sacraments that most Protestant churches recognize, and that is baptism and Holy Communion, or the Lord's Supper. Because these are the rites that Jesus himself initiated, in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke 22, verse 19, it says, Then Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So these are the, the two sacraments we're, we're going to look at today. Now in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they call sacraments mysteries because that's what they are. They're mysterious. We don't understand exactly what is happening when we are baptized or when we receive communion. We just know that God acts through the sacraments, mysterious though his actions may be. And we find that we meet God in powerful ways through the sacraments of baptism and holy communion. Let's focus first on baptism. And read again from Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 42. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Baptism is, as our official doctrine states, not only a sign of profession and mark of difference, whereby Christians are distinguished from others that are not baptized, but it is also a sign of regeneration or new birth. So we view baptism differently than other traditions do, such as the Baptist tradition. Baptists believe that baptism is primarily an act of commitment on behalf of the, the baptized. But we believe, in the Wesleyan tradition, we believe that it is both a sign of profession and a sign of regeneration or new birth. And so we practice infant or young children, uh, young child baptism, whereas Baptists only baptize someone who is old enough to understand to what they are committing themselves. A little bit of a difference. We see it more as a community event, including the family, especially the parents, and the whole church family, who commit themselves to bring the child up in the Christian faith. And then when the person is ready to affirm the faith for themselves, when they are of age, as we say, we do what is called confirmation, where the baptized person confirms the covenant that was made on their behalf by their parents and the church family when they own their baptism and affirm their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we believe that God places his seal on the person being baptized. He marks him or her as a child of God. And so we don't believe in rebaptizing people, since that would indicate that we believe that God's seal didn't take, that it wasn't effective. Instead, we do a remembrance of our baptism as a way of rededicating ourselves to the baptismal covenant. And we believe that one can be baptized in any number of ways, by full immersion underwater, by partial immersion, by sprinkling or pouring, what have you. The manner of baptism doesn't matter. People can choose which manner they want. That's why we have both types of baptismal fonts here at the fount. Uh, if one wants to be sprinkled, we can do that. If one wants to be immersed, we have a baptismal font, fount that they can be uh, immersed in. Baptism is effective even if the person abandons the faith afterwards. Now listen to me. I have seen this happen many times, that a person returns to the faith after turning their backs on God. They return in part, I believe, because they had been marked by God in baptism. Now, this doesn't happen every single time, but it happens enough times for me to consider that God's grace is powerful and it's powerful enough to draw wayward sons and daughters back to him because of their baptism. As the scripture says in verse 29, Acts chapter 2, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. It's a mystery, a sacrament, a means of God's grace. Now let's turn our attention on Holy Communion and I'll read again 1 Corinthians 11, 25 through 27. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. From our articles of religion in the the Book of Discipline for the Methodist Church, it says, the supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves, one to another, but rather it is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death. The bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ, and likewise the cup of blessing is a partaking in the blood of Christ. The cup of the Lord is not to be denied to the lay people, for both the parts of the Lord's Supper by Christ's ordinance and commandment ought to be administered to all Christians alike. And in our United Methodist Wesleyan tradition, we welcome anyone who desires to receive communion to come to the table of the Lord. They don't have to be a member of our church. They don't even have to be a member of any church. They don't even have to be baptized. They simply want they, they have to want to walk with Jesus, and if that's their desire, then they are welcome at our table. That's not true in all churches, but it is true in ours. And in the language of our tradition, the sacrament of Holy Communion is an outward sign of an inward grace, the outward sign being the bread and juice or wine. Now, we don't believe, as the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox Christians do, that the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. That's called transubstantiation, and uh, you'll, you'll uh, really impress people if you drop that word around uh, <laughs> liberally, transubstantiation. Neither do we believe that, they, that the, the body, the bread, and the cup are just symbols, which the Baptist tradition believes. Our Wesleyan heritage falls in between the Catholic and Baptist understanding. We hold them to be both a symbol and an instrument of God's powerful grace. When consecrated, the elements of communion become more than just simple bread and grape juice, but they're not transformed into the actual body and blood of Jesus. And unlike baptism, which cannot be repeated, communion should be repeated. We come from the Anglican tradition, the Church of England, where communion is received every Sunday. Wesley practiced weekly communion even more frequently than weekly. In our tradition, because of the shortage of ordained clergy early on in the American frontier, we developed a quarterly practice of communion, four times a year only. But over the past few decades, we've transitioned into monthly communion. Uh, Many United Methodist churches practice monthly communion, and we practice it every first Sunday of the month here at the Fount. But more and more Methodist and Wesleyan churches are returning to a weekly celebration of the sacrament, especially those who want to recapture the fervor of the early Methodists. And I'd like for us as a congregation to pray about that, to consider that as an option for us. Wesley recommended that Methodists receive the sacrament as often as they can. And now in our current state of complicated living because of COVID-19, uh, we don't practice communion online, and, uh, but we do practice it in our uh, outside service once a month. But when we come back together, when the method of serving communion um, uh, has been relaxed a little bit, then maybe perhaps we can return to, uh, to weekly or uh, at least more frequent communion. 
We started using those self-contained water and juice packages uh, in order to keep things hygienically clean. Uh, but they're a bit expensive and a little bit ponderous. I'd love to return to the, the loaf and the cup again real soon. And I'm hoping that things will open up in the months to come and we can resume the regular method of serving and receiving communion. We'll just have to wait and see. There is, of course, much more to our sacramental theology than I can cover in one sermon, but I hope this gives you a taste, which is a, an intended pun, uh, an, a taste of the matter, because this doctrine of sacraments matters just like all the other doctrines that we've been examining. And it's important for us to understand how our tradition articulates uh, what we believe. It's in vogue these days for individuals to uh, have their own set of beliefs and not to follow uh, teachings of a, uh, a congregation or an organization like a denomination. Uh, but I think that's foolish because then you end up having uh, uh, beliefs that are all over the book, all over the, all over the, uh, the, the map. Uh, I think it's important for us to, to zero down and to... to double down on uh, what we believe as a tradition. Next week, we'll conclude this series with a teaching on grace, prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace, the three graces of Wesley. We'll, I want you to read Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 in preparation for that, Titus 2, 11 through 14. And then starting in two weeks, on November 29th, it'll be Advent, and we'll be starting a new Advent series on the Christian New Year. There will be daily devotions uh, during Advent, a sermon series, and if there's enough uh, uh, interest, we'll have a, a, a Zoom discussion group each week, which will include a video uh, teaching by J.D. Walt as part of our series together. So watch for more information. That'll be coming out by email this week, or you can contact the church office, talk to Julie. She'll be happy to fill you in. Now let's spend a few moments in silent reflection as we consider what God may be saying to us today.